Hello, my friends. This is Donna, and today's topic is DOSE, which stands for dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, with a subtitle of Building a Baseline of Happy. Did you know that our physical bodies come equipped with so-called happiness chemicals and hormone processes that we can tap into anytime we want? This has been a, a recent and ongoing study of mine that is that just fascinates me, so I thought I'd share with you guys a synopsis of what I've learned because it's useful. So we'll talk about four substances that our rather magical bodies manufacture <laughs> that feel to us like happiness. We'll briefly cover the feelings that these substances help produce, what blocks them, how to boost them. And this is, of course, meant as an introduction only because there's so much more to learn about this subject. So let's start with dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter, and they are the, the body's chemical messengers responsible for communicating between our nerve cells in our nervous system. Specifically, dopamine is associated with the brain's anticipation of pleasure. It is our built-in reward system. Dopamine dictates many of our functions, including behavior, emotion, and cognition. And this particular chemical motivates us to work toward achieving a reward. Dopamine also plays a part in our memory, our attention, and even regulating body movements. So when dopamine is released, which is actually during our anticipation of something, it creates feelings of pleasure and reward, which motivates us to then repeat a specific behavior. So dopamine feels like mild to high euphoria. It is the feeling of success, and it could be described as sort of a, a joyful satisfaction. Low levels of dopamine are linked to reduced motivation, decreased enthusiasm for things that would excite most people, and dopamine levels typically self-regulate within the nervous system, but there are some blockers, some things that we can also do naturally to increase levels. So here are a few things that can block the production of dopamine in our system. The first one, discontent which would be kind of letting ourselves focus or dwell on negative things, negative energy things, falling into the habit of always wanting more, being discontent. And of course, our false reality society that's depicted on the media diets that we're kind of all on <laughs> have sort of programmed us to be discontent with ourselves and our lives to a certain extent. Yeah as well as to maybe stay in the energies of worry and fear, which are definitely dopamine blockers. So I would say consider a 45-day or more media fast as a way to change the habit of being discontent. The next blocker is disrespecting ourselves and or allowing others to mistreat us. So this would include things like negative self-talk, uh, like self-critical thinking and having no boundaries or inappropriate boundaries. The next blocker is complaining and criticizing. The next one would be shame. Feeling shame about ourselves, shaming others, 
being in shame environments. And if you're not familiar with this concept and how to work with it, see any of Brene Brown's work on how to process, recognize, and change out shame cycles. The next blocker would be using chemical drugs. I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but this literally breaks our natural dopamine production system. Here are some ways to increase dopamine levels naturally. The first one is gratitude practices. So speaking or writing your gratitudes every day, uh, fostering and growing the feeling, the actual, you could say, emotion of gratitude just works wonders on the physical level as well as every other level of our being. Um, Of course, contemplating all the things and the people that you're thankful for, things like that. The next one is self-love and self-nurturing practices. The next one is daydreaming. So creating with your mind uh, or, or imagining positive things. The next one is the catching a fish metaphor as, as a metaphor for any results-oriented activity. Now, video games do this too. But they are also actually a blocker because they can become an addiction and anything that can become an an addicting behavior or substance actually begins to adapt or change or even block the natural production of these chemicals. The next booster would be anticipating something fun or exciting. So remember how I said earlier dopamine is actually released when we are anticipating pleasure, right? So spend time looking forward to that vacation that you have scheduled or dinner with a friend. Bask in this anticipation as as often as you can uh, intentionally. I go so far, I schedule cool stuff with great people just so that I have something to anticipate. I, you know, make sure I build in thinking about the even the delicious dinner I'm going to make later, or the warm bath I'll I'll take this weekend. All of this produces the same amount of dopamine as the actual event or experience. The next booster, eating plenty of proteins. Dopamine is produced from certain amino acids, which can be obtained, of course, from protein-rich foods. Exercise regularly. This is going to be one that's on every list of boosters for all the happiness chemicals. And I mean, though, the right exercise for you. That's very important, not only because if it's something that you enjoy, then you'll actually do it a lot more often. But we all actually have most beneficial exercises for us. So for some, it's running for others, it's yoga or swimming, or maybe uh, hit workouts, high intensity interval training workouts or weights. Any of regular exercise significantly increases dopamine levels in the brain. The next booster, getting enough sleep. Lack of sleep can reduce dopamine sensitivity in the brain, resulting in excessive feelings of sleepiness. So getting a good night's rest may help regulate our body's natural dopamine rhythms. Listen to music. Studies have shown that listening to your favorite instrumental music may boost your dopamine levels, and more research is needed to determine the effects of music with lyrics. And then meditation. Meditation is another one that's going to be on on the list of boosters for every one of these. 
One study, including eight experienced meditation teachers, found a 64% increase in dopamine production after these eight people meditated for one hour compared to when they just rested quietly. Now, studies have shown that meditation increases dopamine levels in the brains of experienced meditators, but it's less clear whether the same high effects occur in those who are new to meditation. Next on the list, getting sunlight. One study in 68 healthy adults found that those who received the most sunlight exposure in the previous 30 days had the highest density of dopamine receptors in the reward and movement regions of their brains. Interesting. So sunlight exposure can boost dopamine levels. Of course, it's important to be mindful of overexposure and and avoiding skin damage. And then last on the list of dopamine boosters is minerals and vitamins, especially having adequate levels of iron, niacin, folate, and vitamin B6 seems to be important for dopamine production. Let's move on to the O in dose, oxytocin. This is a peptide hormone and neuropeptide. Oxytocin is normally produced in the hypothalamus and released by our posterior pituitary. It plays a role in social bonding, sexual reproduction, childbirth, and the period of bonding after childbirth. Healthy levels of oxytocin improves immune system function and seems to protect the heart. Interesting. Oxytocin is the feeling of positive connection that we call trust. It is a generous, warm, bonded, empathetic, and kind of nurtured feeling, a feeling of wholeness, you could say, like when we feel really accepted and understood and valued or positively connected to another person or an animal. It is, of course, often associated with love and with sex. So what blocks production of oxytocin? Well, let's start with drama. (laughs) Drama, which I would say is the focus on what we don't like or and or trying to control or manage others and or taking everything personally. The next blocker would be the stories we make up. You know those negative storylines that we kind of just manufacture in our brains, (laughs) in our thinking processes about maybe how others are thinking and feeling in regard to us or how other people view us. If we actually communicate with people and find out their truth, it's usually not at all what we imagined it would be, in my experience. (laughs) The next blocker, and this is a big one, is chronic stress, especially fear and anxiety. Oxytocin neurons are repressed by catecholamines, which are released from our adrenal glands in response to many types of stress, including fear. And this is especially interesting to me because it's kind of the the biological or the physical interplay between love and fear, right? How fear can inhibit or, or block love. The next blocker would be distraction. 
not being fully present or fully aware of our experiences, which means that we are missing out on perhaps a large part of the beauty and the joy and and the tenderness of this human experience. And then the last blocker is pornography and sexual addictions, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a minute. Let's talk about some ways to increase oxytocin naturally. And in general here, think physical touch, positive, nurturing physical touch, and social interactions. So we'll start with hugs, especially, and I'm sure you guys have have seen this different places, especially if they last 15 to 20 seconds or longer. And this can seem, when you actually do this and count it out, it can seem like a a long time to us weirdo touch-deprived Americans, right? (laughs) The next booster, positive social interactions, especially at a deeper level of intimate connection, such as support and recovery groups or spiritual groups, volunteering, uh, giving our, our time and our efforts to others is another great oxytocin-producing social interaction. The next one is massage. And it's important to note here that one study found that a light massage is actually more effective at increasing oxytocin than a deep tissue massage. I found that very fascinating. My husband is a massage therapist, one of his many, many vocations, and he's surprised to learn that because most of us who love massage and find it beneficial tend towards you know, what we would call truly therapeutic or, or deep tissue types of things. But interestingly enough, light massage actually produces more oxytocin in us. If you can't afford a full body massage regularly, spring for a foot massage or a hand or a head massage. There's plenty of places. I see them in the malls all over where you can get a shorter and much less expensive, you know, nurturing, healthy, beneficial touch or trade with somebody. It doesn't have to be professional. You can trade with your significant other or a friend. It doesn't really matter if it's done right. According to massage therapist standards, it it is, it's the prolonged nurturing touch that, that releases this oxytocin in us and gives us the benefit. Next booster is, again, music, listening to music and singing along. So they did a study where patients who underwent open-heart surgery listened to soothing music for 30 minutes one day after their surgery, and they had significantly higher levels of oxytocin compared to those who were simply told to rest in bed. Now, slow tempo music has also been shown to increase both oxytocin and heart rate variability. And what's even better, they've shown, is singing along with the music. They found that singing for 30 minutes significantly increases oxytocin levels in both amateur and professional singers. (laughs) That's important to know, right? Regardless of whether they enjoyed singing the song. Hmm, interesting. Perhaps, they say, this explains why mothers often sing lullabies to their newborn babies. It may also encourage that bonding by increasing the release of oxytocin. And then another idea, making music together in a group leads to even more significant releases in oxytocin and reductions in stress. So if you play an instrument, uh, go ahead and put, put together that amateur band and start jamming. (laughs) Everybody will start producing more oxytocin together. 
Next on the list is yoga or deep breathing. Researchers have come to believe that yoga increases oxytocin by stimulating the vagus nerve. And in one study, researchers found that yoga significantly increased oxytocin levels and improved socio-occupational functioning in patients with schizophrenia. The research concluded then that yoga should be used to manage schizophrenia because of the improvement in oxytocin levels. And of course, you don't need to be any level of fit to practice yoga. There are endless types and levels of free yoga available on YouTube and many other places online that you can do right in your in your home, right on your bedroom floor. That's what I do almost every morning. <laughs> I do want to recommend somebody in case you are interested and, and in case you are a beginner. If you go onto YouTube and type in yoga with Adrian, A-D-R-I-E-N-E, she's got several different 30-day programs that are free on there that'll get you going and they're wonderful introductions to yoga. Now I've been practicing yoga for going on 15 years now, and I actually still really enjoy yoga with Adrian. It's just very motivating to me. Next on the list is pets. Pets are definitely oxytocin boosters. Animals have a way of calming us, and it's because they do increase our oxytocin levels. Research shows that even just touching your pets actually lowers your blood pressure and increases your oxytocin levels. One study found that the levels increased in both humans and dogs after just five minutes of petting. This also probably explains some of the emotional bonding that happens between humans and dogs, right? They say even just staring into your dog's eyes can trigger the release of oxytocin in our brain, increasing our levels. Next on the list is sex and or cuddling. Now, having an orgasm with someone you love releases pretty much all of these so-called happy chemicals and hormones in our bodies. Interestingly enough, some studies show that men do not increase their oxytocin levels with just an orgasm unless it is with someone they love. And there were not studies done to see if this is also true for women. And cuddling, of course, is also very much oxytocin-producing. And the last booster, which is another repeat, is laughter. This also releases multiple of our happy chemical responses in the body. Learning about oxytocin helped me understand the huge rate of men who are or have been addicted to pornography. Men in our American culture are extremely touch-deprived. Women are too, but men even more so because it's less acceptable to nurture them or for them to even accept nurturing after a certain age, as well as they're taught to be weird about affectionate touch between men. They're also taught to sexualize touch in general, which tends to inhibit nurturing non-sexual touch. Also, a large percentage of men have physical touch as their primary love language. So, being touch-deprived then becomes kind of a double hit for them. These oxytocin-deficient and touch-deprived men then try to make up for this biological need by seeking sex. 
But if they can't get it or can't get enough of it inside of a relationship, then they turn to pornography because, hey, an orgasm with someone gives them a a hit of oxytocin. So why not an orgasm via an always accessible way? The problem is it quickly messes up their natural oxytocin producing system because pornography isn't actually connection with another human being and doesn't actually involve the loving energy of another being that men crave. Another thing about oxytocin is that mothers produce a lot of it while giving birth and breastfeeding their babies. Pretty much all of motherhood and and babyhood is very oxytocin producing for moms because it it bonds them with their babies, of course, and passes along to the baby uh, this warmth and safety and acceptance and comfort that helps them thrive. Men miss out on this too. So if you're a guy and you know you're oxytocin deficient, I would suggest getting regular massage if you can or other types of nurturing touch therapy. I would also suggest focusing on the friendships that you have and specifically on building deeper trust bonds in those relationships or those friendships. Also getting involved in a social group that goes deep, such as, like I said before, a spiritual community. And this can be, if you're not into any religion, this can be meditation. This can even be certain types of yoga. Or you can volunteer somewhere on a regular basis. Some volunteer programs can also go deeper than your average surface relationship. Now, it does require vulnerability to do these things. You could say that in order to produce oxytocin, you must first place yourself in a vulnerable situation. But the bonds that you build by making yourself vulnerable to other human beings is what creates trust, yes, and oxytocin. All right, on to serotonin. You probably already know that serotonin plays a role in sleep and in depression, but this inhibitory chemical also plays a major role in several essential functions, including appetite, arousal, and mood. Many antidepressants target serotonin receptors to improve mood and and lessen depressive symptoms. Interestingly, Most of our serotonin is stored in the intestine, and it plays a role in digestive functioning as well. One of my older sisters, who is a doctor with both psychology and medical degrees, says that the cutting-edge research for mental illnesses these days are actually focusing on the health of the gut microbiome and its effects on mental health. Serotonin feels like calm, relaxation, and peace. It is the feeling of security, and it can also be released during social situations when others admire or respect us. Serotonin blockers. The first one is electronics because they give off positive ions, and we actually need a certain balance of negative ions. So cell signals, uh, ELF, extremely low frequency, and EHF, extremely high frequencies, can disrupt many of our body's natural cycles and our chemical responses. Nature 
gives off negative ions, loads of them, which is why nature is so calming and restorative to us. The second blocker along the same lines is screens, especially with the blue light that it gives off. Um, This blue light actually blocks serotonin and melatonin production. Fluorescent lighting, same as the screen lights, but actually even worse. Artificial environments in general. And again, this is because of the imbalance of negative ions. And then overstimulation of the mind and nervous system. And this is, as we all know, so widespread, such a common, common thing. I'd say the question is not, are we overstimulated by our society, but how overstimulated are we? And how can we reduce or avoid that? And then a major blocker is alcohol. Drinking alcohol initially increases serotonin release as well as dopamine and endorphin releases. But then it alters the signal transmissions in the brain and actually modifies the activities of the specific serotonin receptor proteins. The receptor modifications contribute to intoxication effects, including loss of reasonable inhibitions, as well as to the withdrawal symptoms, including increased aggression and depression, and the desire to drink more because of the initial rewarding hit of serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins that we get when we consume alcohol. So these abnormal serotonin levels and the alteration of the signals and the receptors are believed to actually contribute to the development of alcohol abuse, of addiction. This very simplified explanation of alcohol's unhappy effect on our happy chemical production system is similar to a much more dramatically, uh, much more destructive process with certain recreational drugs like methamphetamines, heroin, and cocaine. Sugar, processed sugar has a similar process, but the damage that sugar does is actually easier to reverse than it is with alcohol abuse or drug use. In testing done with mice, processed sugar has actually been shown to be many times more addictive to our physical brains and bodies than these drugs are because we feel that initial reward from these substances, but then the body's adaptions to them actually create very negative and often long-term effects. Some serotonin boosters. I'm going to start with a few supplements here. Uh, Some of the top ones. There's many, many out there, but some of the top ones. Supplements that help with increasing serotonin. Vitamin D, 5-HTP, B-complex vitamins, St. John's wort, and probiotics. Next on the list of boosters would be getting good quality and enough sleep. And this has shown up a couple times, yes? If you're a parent, you know you've learned how a baby that misses a nap seems to sleep really poorly that night, how overstimulation and a lack of quality sleep actually blocks the serotonin production, and then the baby can't fall asleep or can't get to sleep deeply enough. Another booster is meditation. Meditation regularly 
even if it's just five to 10 minutes a day, although 20 to 30 is better if you can work up to that. And then earthing, also known as nature bathing. So this just looks like maybe having your bare feet in the grass or the water or the sand or on rocks or in mud, hugging trees, smelling flowers, Uh, of course, prolonged uh, exposure in nature, such as camping, fishing, hiking, rock climbing, swimming in lakes or oceans, all of these wonderful, wonderful for producing serotonin. Gratitude, another multi-use tool. And again, exercise. Exercise boosts serotonin, even just 20 minutes of exercise. Let's move on to the E of D-O-S-E, and that stands for endorphins. Endorphins are chemicals produced by the nervous system to cope with pain or physical stress. They're often called feel-good chemicals because they can act as not only a pain reliever, but also a happiness booster. Endorphins are primarily made in the hypothalamus and the pituitary glands, although they are thought to also come from other parts of the body as well. The well-known runner's high after lengthy and vigorous exercise is due to that increase in endorphin levels. Now, the level of endorphins in each body varies. It's very different from person to person, and they actually work similarly to opioids. Certain endorphins are highly beneficial for cognition, as well as fueling our creativity and our inspiration. We can thank the release of endorphins, as well as the neurochemicals like dopamine, for allowing us to stay motivated and intrigued enough to produce great works of art or music or writing, uh, even to create scientific formulations and experience spiritual breakthroughs. Endorphins don't just mask pain, they also provide this profound feeling or sense of well-being or confidence, sometimes even euphoria. Because of their pain-masking abilities, whether the pain is physical or emotional, regular exercise is often recommended to help those who suffer from mental illnesses or grief or any type of emotional distress. Now, endorphins don't, of course, cure the pain, but they do provide a beneficial way to relieve the pain while the root cause is being addressed. Some endorphin blockers. The first one is being sedentary, making excuses or refusing to exercise. The next one is chronic stress and adrenal fatigue. And then inadequate sleep and gut microbiome dysbiosis. This is, again, the bacterial imbalance in our gut. Too much caffeine, alcohol, or sugar. A GABA deficiency. And then spinal subluxation, which I'll talk more about in a minute. And physical or emotional trauma is a big blocker of endorphins. Endorphin boosters. Well, as I said earlier, exercise is by far the best booster and producer of endorphins. 
So finding something that we enjoy and doing it at least three times a week more if possible. And for endorphin boosters, the more rigorous the exercise, the better. So, you know, think aerobic type of things like dancing, uh, high intensity interval training runs or workouts, swimming, hiking, intermediate or advanced yoga, jumping rope, etc. things like this. Another booster is, again, getting outside. Same thing as above with the nature bathing and the earthing. Seeing your chiropractor for an adjustment. So the upper cervical spine is actually very important for endorphin production. If you have a subluxation where spinal misalignment is interfering with the nerve impulses in this region, then it can actually lower your endorphins. So a good chiropractor can help reduce subluxation and actually improve your endorphin production. Learn something new. Challenging ourselves to get out of our comfort zones actually increases endorphins. Laughter, again, especially laughing really hard. Incorporating pleasant tastes, especially dark chocolate or something spicy. And smells such as maybe essential oils, especially when the tastes or the smells remind you of something good. Deep breathing, stretching, and yoga. And then last on the list, healing your trauma. And this is something that most of us need help with. We need to get help with. I have found personally that body-based therapies such as breath work, EMDR, SE, and cranial sacral to be quicker and deeper for trauma release than talk therapy. But do what you are most drawn to. Endorphins are actually the area that I have personally struggled the most in because I've experienced a lot of trauma in childhood and the coping or survival mechanisms that I developed led to constant stress and anxiety as an adult which led to GABA deficiency and adrenal fatigue, which I then tried to self-medicate with caffeine and alcohol and sugar. You can kind of see this nasty spiral. I'm also gluten intolerant. So before I knew that, while the medical doctors were still just saying, oh, it's IBS, you know, giving me a lot of guesses, none of which helped, I had for a long time a huge gut microbiome imbalance, including leaky gut and an overstressed liver, all because I was gluten intolerant and didn't know it yet. So this contributed to a lack or low endorphin level. Pretty much the only things I had going for me were exercise, uh, which mostly I do yoga and I hike a lot, and getting enough sleep. I've been pretty good about that. But I have no doubt that if left untreated, The trauma alone, much less the gut issues and the adrenal fatigue, would have snowballed to blocking every other one of these chemicals and hormones and probably led to depression and major health issues. And I say all this to kind of demonstrate what a cycle this is, how everything affects everything else in our bodies, right? You probably noticed that several of the boosters I mentioned work for multiple happy chemicals and hormones. And these repeat ones are the ones that I especially focus on turning into daily habits. Now, there are daily practices and then there are daily habits, such as 
going to bed at the same time to get lots of good sleep. That would be a good example of a habit. Or meditating, which would include deep breathing every morning. Even if I only have five minutes, I have mostly turned that into a habit. And I do try for 20 to 30 minutes optimally, but it doesn't always happen. Nightly stretching is another habit because it's just made such a huge physical difference for me in terms of how my body feels. I want laughter to become a daily habit as well as exercise. Right now, I would categorize those as practices for me, (laughs) along with gratitude and certain supplements. Do you see the difference of what I'm saying here? Practices versus habits. Here is my top four choices of daily practices, one for each happy chemical or hormone. Number one is gratitude. I do practice that every day. Number two is longer hugs, lots of hugs and longer hugs. Number three is being outside barefoot and hugging trees. I'm lucky enough to live in the mountains where we have plenty of trees and many of our trees actually smell so wonderful. So I can often be found hugging and sniffing trees. (laughs) And number four is dancing. So your additional resources for today... I'll start with a book titled Meet Your Happiness Chemicals by Loretta Graziano Bruning. And this has, of course, way, way more in-depth information on these happy chemicals and hormones, as well as she discusses the bad habits that we form to trigger these and how to change those habits out for good ones. She also talks about something I did not hear, the unhappy chemical called cortisol, which is very destructive in the body, and she goes in depth into what all triggers cortisol and how it interacts to inhibit the happy chemicals. The next one is an easy online article. It's titled The Neurochemicals of Emotion. You can just Google that. And then Dr. Gabor Mate's books and articles and podcasts, particularly dealing with addiction, trauma, and depression. There are quite a few of his talks available on YouTube, and he is just a fascinating man to listen to. Dr. Candace Pert has uh, several books out. One, The Molecules of Emotion, and The Physics of Emotions are uh, particularly good. She also has documentaries, articles, and podcasts. And she actually discovered the brain's opiate receptors which gave us a whole new concept of the mind-body connection, particularly how emotions create a physical substance in the body called peptides that then have all sorts of effects on the body. One of my favorite quotes from her says, Blessing and bliss come from the same root. We are hardwired to be in bliss. It's normal and it's natural. End quote. And then lastly, a book titled The Four Agreements. Now, this book says absolutely nothing at all about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. But I have noticed that when I follow this this kind of code of the four agreements, it tends to boost every one of these natural production processes. And I'll just quickly run through what the four agreements are, in case you're not familiar. Number one is be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. 
Number three, don't make assumptions. And number four, always do your best. And the book is, is small. It's a quick read. But it is, it's been a part of my life for over a decade now, and I just so highly recommend it. Thank you so much for listening. I know it's a long one today. If you are not familiar with my sister Diana and I, we are authors under author name Dee Dee Adair, and we wrote a book series that is fiction set in Atlantis, which we researched for over 10 years. It's called the Golden Age series, and it's available on Amazon. It's also available digitally on just about every other online bookstore. So check that out if you have any interest in Atlantis. Diana and I are also both quantum healers. And we offer private sessions for quantum healing hypnosis technique, as well as beyond quantum healing, spiritual counseling, And we offer surrogate sessions, which is kind of a a brand new thing. Well, I mean, we've been doing it for a few months here, but have had some fantastic results. And if you're interested in knowing more about any of that, go to quantumhealers.com and look up surrogate QH sessions, and you'll see, you'll, you'll find out more about that. Thank you so much for listening. Blessings on you and blessings on your day.